0: Good morning, welcome to Carolina Family Church, glad all of you have come and have joined us today, for those of you that I haven't had a chance to meet, my name is John, and I am the pastor here, and we are started a brand new series last week called The Holy Spirit. It's just called the Holy Spirit, and we got to talk about him because, uh, first of all, he's a person, for so those of you that weren't able to join us last week, he's part of the Trinity of God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and uh, this thing is running really, really bad, isn't it? It's like kind of crazy things going on. Is it too bad? Is that okay? I'm telling you, the technology, this is what happens, so... Uh, In summer, you know, in church world, you rely on, obviously, people coming and serving at your church, all right? So everything that happens here is done because somebody got up early this morning to do it. And uh, it works fine when, like, one person is on vacation. And sometimes when two people are on vacation... But when both your sound guys are on vacation, it creates a little bit of a problem. So we're just working through those details today. And I know you guys, you know that one of our values, you see this when you came in, uh, one of the values on the banner is gracious. Right? So we extend grace when things like this happen. This is part of you know our vision for our church, is to be a family, and part of the deal with family is that things aren't always polished, and they don't always go exactly the way you want to, and when they do, you just got to give each other grace, and you no, know, that's life, and that's people, and that's what happens, and so I, I always joke when we have weekends like this where it seems like thing after thing is going wrong, uh, that we're just riding the bull. We just got to hang on for eight seconds, or 60 minutes, or whatever it is for us, uh, but that's kind of what we're doing today, so... Um, Anyway, I'm glad that you're here, and we are in the middle of a series called The Holy Spirit, and I just wonder if maybe the reason that we're having some of the issues that we're having today is because this is so important for us to talk about. See? See what I'm talking about? (laughs) All right, just bring the volume down on a little bit. All right, we'll be good. Um, I think it's because it's so important for us to talk about, and the key... You know, people talk about a lot of keys to to following Jesus or being the kind of Christian we're supposed to be. And they give a lot of different things, being humble or, you know, considering other people better than yourselves or reading your Bible every day or whatever it may be. But I really think there are two things that the believer needs to be able to do in order to be successful in their walk with Christ. And the first thing is to understand and read God's word, because his word is here to us. And the second thing is to understand who the Holy Spirit is and how we listen to him and follow him. And if we can do both of those things, and by the way, the Spirit will help us understand the Scripture, so maybe it's just one thing. But if we can do that really, really well, everything else is going to fall into line in our life. But we got to get that done right first. And I think what we do a lot of times is we get into message series and we try to help you know people, pastors, we try to help people as much as we can. So we get into like five steps to repair your marriage. And you can take and you can go and do those five steps and they might be helpful and they might work, but you can also go down to the bookstore and grab a self-help book that's going to tell you exactly the same thing. And what our job in the church is to do is to teach you to follow the Spirit, because if you learn how to follow the Spirit, then you will know how to repair your marriage. Okay, so that's that's the deal. And so I think that's why this is so important to us. The Spirit is the power and the presence of God with us every single day as a follower of Jesus Christ. And so we've got to get this and we've got to learn this. Last week we talked about what I think is the key foundational thing, and that's the fact that God sends the Spirit as, and forgive the terminology, if you go back and listen to the message last week, you'll know what all these words mean, but um, He is the seal of God, the earnest of God, and the witness of God. And the bottom line on that is that God sends the Holy Spirit to us Partly, so that we'll know we're safe. So that when we have seen the action, if we can just kill the lights, we'll so just- no, we can't kill them, can that would be a problem. <laughs> I'll tell you what, let's let's do this, let's do this. I know these things are flickering behind me. If somebody can hit, there's, there's a light switch on the wall over there in the corner. We're just gonna manage this stuff and it's happening. All right, Carl, can you grab that? And that'll give us enough, light. there you go, that's gonna give us enough. Light. And then you pull those down, perfect. Now it's not gonna be a problem, all right? Can you see okay though? You don't need to see me. That's fine. It's probably for the better. All right, this will work. So um, this is so important. This is so important because the key to us being successful as followers of Jesus is learning how to follow the Spirit. And last week we talked about how God sends the Spirit. He's the seal of the promise, the witness to the promise that he's given us. That if you have accepted Jesus by faith, God sends the Holy Spirit to you. And he confirms the promise that God has made to you. So if you have ever seen the Holy Spirit work in your life, then you know you're saved. And you don't need to question that anymore. You don't have to go through life wondering whether you are or not. You you, you can know because the Spirit confirms that to you. Yeah. <laughs> we're good. We got it. Live the boat. That's what it is. the to hang up. Alright. I wish it was only eight seconds. It seems easy right now. But alright, there we go. The lights do that, by the way, it's a thing here. Anyway. So but I was wondering, and I think this is a question a lot of people ask, coming out of last week, where I say, okay, I know that I've accepted Christ by faith through Jesus' death on the cross. I know that I have the Spirit, but why don't I act the way I want to act? If I have, I had this conversation with someone after after the service, they were talking about something they were struggling with, and they said, I just, when the temptation comes, if I have the power of God within me, why doesn't he just stop me from doing it? I just wanted to take over and take control and stop me from doing a thing that I don't want to do. Why doesn't he do that? I said, well, because he doesn't do that. <laughs> Paul, struggled with exactly the same thing. One of the premier writers of the New Testament. One of the greatest church planters of all time. One of the greatest Christians who ever lived. struggled with exactly the same thing. Look, maybe you can relate to this. Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, verses 15 to 21. It says, for I do not understand my own actions. Anybody else? Wait your hand. Anybody agree? I don't even understand why I do what I do. I, for I, I do not do what I want. But I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, that's good. So he's he's just saying, hey, if I know what I'm doing is wrong, at least it means I agree with what's right, (laughs) even though I don't seem to be in control of myself. So it's it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Again, anybody else? Can, can, we, can we relate to this? My goodness, right? I just I, I do not do the good I want; but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do, now if I do what I do not want, no so longer I can do the sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. You know what you're supposed to do. You know, what you, like we know this stuff, but it feels like even though I know it, I can't, I'm constantly fighting with this other thing within me. I want to do what God wants me to do, but it seems like it's, I just kind of get overwhelmed by the sin within me. And you need to know That even though you're saved, and even though God has brought His presence to be with you, you are still in an epic battle for your life. The the battle for your soul has been won, but there's a battle for your life going on right now. And whether you're going to live a life that's honoring to God, or whether you're going to live a life that's honoring to the flesh. And that battle is not going to stop until your time here is done. It's going to continue in your life. And so what we have to learn how to do in order to fight against this sin that's within us, is to learn how to be filled with the Spirit. Because having the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit are two different things. You have to have the Spirit in order to be filled with the Spirit, but you can have the Spirit and not be filled with Him. Now, I know that's maybe a a little bit of a confusing thing. It's hard for even the greatest scholars to explain, uh, quite frankly. But I think of it like this. I think of it like the water in my house. When when God saved me by my faith, I put my faith in Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross for me and then rose again. I believe that, put my faith in that. God saved me, and when that happened, he turned on the water in me. He put put the Holy Spirit in my life, in my pipes, okay? That's where the Holy Spirit is. And God turned on the water, main, so there is now water in that house, and the water is always available to me. But I only get the advantage of the water if I turn on the faucet. I have to turn on the bathtub. I have to turn the spigot. I have to turn on the hose. I have to ask and be filled with the Spirit. I have to put the cup under the sink in order to catch the water and then drink of it. It is always available to me, but I have to access it. I have to choose to be filled with the Spirit. And that is an ongoing thing that I have to do. Day by day, moment by moment, year by year. Paul, when he's writing in Ephesians, he's writing to to another another town, he says this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, he said, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. Be filled with the spirit. So what he's saying is, is, much like you would drink, you know, you would drink wine and then you would begin to lose your inhibitions or lose your control in a way. He's saying that you need to be filled with something else. You need to be filled with something that's going to fight against the flesh, and that is the spirit. And so we need to be filled with the spirit. And the, the language here is really interesting, uh, because the the language, be filled with the spirit, I don't know the right uh, like terminology, you know, the linguistics or whatever, um, but the idea is when it says be filled with the spirit, it's an ongoing, continual process, from the Greek words that are used here. So it's be being filled, be being filled. And it's actually something you do, but it's something that's done to you at the same time. So it's be being filled or be continually being filled. That we constantly, it's this idea of overflowing or having as much as you need. And so when we say that I want to be filled with the Spirit, it is to say that I want the Spirit of God to be brimming over the top of my life. I want it to to be a part of every decision, directing everything that's happening in my life. I want all or as much of Him as I can possibly have. And I want him to have all or as much of me as he can possibly have. Be filled with the Spirit. I think water is probably the best analogy. Um, I think that Jesus agreed with that because he used water as an analogy of the Spirit over and over and over and over again in the Scripture. John chapter 4. He's sitting at a well with a woman uh, who's not Jewish and he's trying to explain some things to her. And he says this in John chapter 4. Verse 13, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Of course, he's talking about the water in the well. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. You see, Jesus is going to give us spiritual water, spiritual nourishment, everything that we need to survive, and it's going to come from within, it's going to come from the Spirit. And then in John chapter 7, he says, uh, John chapter 7, verses 37-39, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, he said this about the spirit. He's using the analogy of water for the spirit. Now, he said this about the spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as of yet, the spirit had not been (coughs) given to Jesus, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So they hadn't received the spirit yet, because Christ hadn't gone through what he was going to go through with. And so he says, everyone needs to drink of the spirit. Be filled, constantly be filled with the Spirit. And the Spirit, of heat, Paul gives us that contrast of wine and water. Water is different than the other liquids we drink, right? The Spirit is not alcohol to remove our inhibitions or calm our nerves. The Spirit is not soda that makes life bubbly and sweet. And it's not an energy drink that gives us a quick boost when we need it. He is pure spiritual water. Everything you could possibly need to live the life that God has designed for you to live. Jesus told us this. And if we're filled with the Spirit, let's look at what He does. What is that? What's gonna happen? If I say I want to be filled with the Spirit, what is what is it what is He gonna do? Jesus tells us a series of verses in, in John chapter 14 through 16. He's explaining to his disciples that he's gonna go away, but the Spirit's gonna come, and he's trying to get them to understand. That that's better for them that the Spirit comes than for Him to remain with them. He says this in John chapter 14. says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send to my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And then in chapter 15, He says, But when the Helper comes, that's the Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about me. And then in John chapter 16, the next chapter, Jesus says, he, speaking of the Spirit, he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So if I'm going to be filled with the Spirit, what does that mean? Well, we need to understand the mission of the Spirit. The mission of the Spirit is to bring glory to Jesus. That's his job. The mission of the Spirit is to bring glory to Jesus. So if the purpose of the Spirit is to glorify Jesus, then the mission of the Spirit in us is to help us to do the same. That's his job. He wants to help us glorify Jesus. He wants us to understand Jesus more. You know, in church, we talk a whole lot more about Jesus than we do about the Spirit. And even though they are co-equal with each other in the Trinity, it's right that we do so because the job of the Spirit is to glorify Jesus. And so if the Spirit is doing his work, our attention and focus will be on Jesus more than it will be on him. And so that's what he wants to do in your life, which means he wants to lead you to holiness, which means he wants you to know Jesus more, to model your life after him, and that's what he's going to help you to do. And we're going to talk a little bit later in the series. I really don't know yet whether it will be next week or the week after, but we're going to talk about how he then empowers you to help other people glorify Jesus, which is the third step of that. I think of, um, I think a little bit of the, the Holy Spirit like a band manager, all right? Not to minimize it in any way, but you know, behind every great band, there's a great manager. Like, they wouldn't be a great band if they didn't have a great manager. The manager is the one who books the gigs, the the manager is the one who does the marketing, the manager is the one who thinks about the crowds and thinks about the tour and does all those sorts of things. And the band, they're the one who gets them hooked up with the label, they're the one who gets the album done, they're the one who helps them develop their sound, they're the one who does all that. But when the time actually comes for the concert, the band gets out on stage and gets the stage time while the manager stays behind the curtain. I think of the Spirit a little bit like the band manager. His job is to bring glory to Jesus Christ. And so that's what he does in our lives. The Spirit is not interested in empowering us to glorify ourselves, only to glorify Jesus. And so that's what he wants to do. And if you want to be filled with the Spirit, understand that's what he's going to do. Some people want to be filled with the Spirit so they can have an emotional experience. That's not what's happening there. Some people want to be filled with the Spirit so that they can have the power to do something that is going to bring attention to them. That's not what the Spirit is doing. People want to be filled with the Spirit for a lot of different reasons, but I will tell you there's only one reason that you should want to be filled with the Spirit. And that's to bring glory and honor to Jesus Christ with your life. And so if that's what you want, and you want to be filled with Him, I want to talk about how to be filled with Him. How How do I become filled with the Spirit? What do I need to do? My desires to bring honor and glory to Jesus, and to see that I want to take you to Luke 11. And at first, at first blush, this may not seem to connect, but it'll connect by the time that we're done. Okay, <laughs> Luke chapter 11. Jesus has been off praying by himself. His disciples, he comes back, and his disciples say to Jesus, "Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? You're so good. At it. Would you please help us out? Tell us what we should be praying for." And this is not the typical Lord's prayer um, that you would normally recite or read. This is. Now, Luke gives us a bit of an abbreviated version of it here. Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us how to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And so, right right out of this prayer, just out of this prayer that Jesus gives, I want to give you three steps that it's essential for us to take if we want to be fulfilled with the Holy Spirit. The first step, step number one, is that we need to submit to God's authority. We need to submit to God's authority. Jesus said, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Which is, and he's teaching his disciples to pray this way, that they need to put themselves in a position of submission to God. We need to say, you are God, I'm not. Because most of the time, when we want God's power, we want access to that, or we want to be filled with his spirit, and we go with selfish ambitions, well, this this is the first one we're violating So if we want to be filled with God's Spirit, we have to submit to God's authority and say, God, you're in charge. And here's the thing. This is going back to the conversation that was happening last week. But I just want the Spirit to take over me. I just want Him to stop me. And the fact that He doesn't work like that. I was reading recently, and one of the authors I was reading, I love this terminology. He called the Holy Spirit the silent gentleman. The silent gentleman. That He is there to help you accomplish the purpose that He has for your life. But if you want to go do your own thing, he will quietly stand aside and let you. Now he convicts you of your sin. Don't get me wrong. As you're doing it, he could be saying, "Hey, this is wrong. This is wrong. This is you going the wrong path. This is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong." wrong. He's convicting you. But ultimately, he does not control you, and he will not control you. Does God have the power to do it? Yes, he does. Does he give us free will? Yes, he does. So the Holy Spirit is here to guide us and direct us, but he will not overtake us and control us. When those moments of temptation comes, he has led us to the point that we know, just like Paul, he, he says, I know what I'm doing is wrong. So I know that this is the wrong decision for me to make. He may have given me steps I should have taken all along on, on, on safeguards I should have taken in place, or situations I should have stayed out of, or relationships I should have stepped away from. He's been doing that all along. But when the moment comes and the temptation hits, we have to make a choice, and we have to either choose to live in a sin nature or to live in the Spirit to be filled with Him. And that comes from submitting to God's authority. Step number one. Step number two is that I need to embrace God's grace. I didn't mean for that to run. It just happened. (laughs) We need to embrace God's grace. Which means that if I want to be filled with the Spirit, I not only have to recognize that God is in authority over me, but I also need to recognize that God has forgiven me. And I need need to, to rest in that. And rest in it in such a way that allows me also to extend grace to other people. If I want to live a a spirit-filled life, if I want to be filled with the spirit, then I need to remember my salvation and I need to extend that to other people. Because if I don't, if I don't remember my salvation, then fear and remorse and regret and, and... and all of that is going to control me, not the Spirit. And if and if I'm holding grudges against other people, then arrogance and pride and revenge is going to control me, not the Spirit. I have to embrace God's grace, not only for me, but for the people in the situation that I'm in as well. So step one, I have to submit to God's authority. Step two, I have to embrace God's grace. And step number three, I have to commit to holiness. I have to commit to holiness. In the prayer, Jesus said... Lead us not into temptation. That expresses a desire for holiness. And I suspect that one of the greatest deficiencies in the church, particularly in America, that's where most of my experience is, particularly in America, is that most Christians are not committed to holiness, which is not... Christians in America in general are committed to appeasing their actions by being a part of a church rather than actually saying, I want my entire life to be as pure as I possibly can. I want to be as much like Jesus as I possibly can. And if I want to if I want to be filled with the Spirit, how can I do that and still have and still embrace my desire to sin at the same time? I can't. I have to commit myself to holiness. that doesn't mean I'm gonna be perfect, but if I wanna be filled with the Spirit, I have to want to be. I have to recognize God's authority, I need to live in His grace, and I need to commit myself to being as holy as I possibly can. If I do that, anything I do in contrast to one of those three steps, I'm turning off faucets all over my house. I'm saying I want the water to flow, but I'm, I'm killing where the water is coming from. And when I do that, not only do I do I lose that fullness of the Spirit. Not only do I lose the power that He wants to give to me. Not only do I lose the direction that He wants to give me in my life, but I grieve Him. I, the, we don't say I grieved You. That's not a term that we generally use. It fills with sadness. I be by better way to say that for us. But the Spirit has come into, we've expressed our faith in Jesus Christ and the Spirit has come into our life and He walks next to us every single day and He wants to lead us every single day. And when we choose to go in the directions, when we say I'm in control or when, we, when we're living in the, the weight of all of our sin or we're trying to impose consequences on other people because we won't forgive them or when I'm just choosing to live in a sinful lifestyle, He is standing right next to us, broken hearted because He wants what's best for us. And so if we want, if we want to be filled with the Spirit, then we have to do these three things. Jesus gives us this in the prayer. And you might say, well, what does is, is this prayer have to do with the Spirit? <laughs> I, you, I never quite noticed this until this week as I was reading. Jesus, does, Jesus gives that prayer, and then he immediately says to them, and uh, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit on this for time's sake. He says, this is which one of you does this prayer? You know, what we're supposed to ask for is for God. And he says, which one of you, if, you know, if your friend came to you at 3 a.m. in the middle of the night? And they, they wanted to come in, they, they had somebody that they, they needed some help. I mean, even if you were irritated, even if you didn't, this is what Jesus says, it's funny. Even if you, were, even if you didn't want to help them, you would be irritated enough to help them anyways. You know, <laughs> like they're there and they woke you up so you've your own indignation. You would go and you would help them anyway. And then, and then he says this, all right. Luke chapter 11. This is right after this. Right after this prayer. It says, and I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. And a lot of people will read that verse and think it means that you can just pray for whatever you want. God's going to give that to you. No, 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 no. It's not the way it works. He's going he to give his wife I'll tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. See, and you will find it. Knock, and it will be open to you. What? What will be open to me? Everything I ever wanted? It's for everyone who asks receives, and the one who sees finds, and the one who knocks, to the one who knocks, it will be open. And what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent? <coughs> Terrible. <coughs> Terrible. I walked outside at a friend's house the other day, they had a rubber snake sitting on the table. I knew it was rubber, I just wouldn't touch it examples in the Bible, of, like stats turning into snakes so I can take a chance that <laughs> the rubber stick might turn into a real one. Right? But which one of you, if he asks for a fish, is going to give him a serpent. Or if he asks for an egg, would give him a scorpion? No. So if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The whole point of the prayer that Jesus gave to them was so they could have be filled with the Holy Spirit. Not so they could have everything they dreamed of or have everything they want, but that they could have everything that they actually need. Because when we submit to God's authority and when we when we embrace His grace, and when we commit ourselves to holiness, the Holy Spirit fills us to lead us and guide us. He gives us everything we can ever need in life. And what He also does is He reorients our hearts. He reorients our desires. He reorients our passions. He reorients our goals. And we start to realize that all we actually need is Him. That He is the prize. That He is the goal. That the greatest gift I could ever receive from the Spirit is the Spirit itself. And that when I'm filled with him, I'm filled with joy and optimism because I'm focused on God's grace and promises, not on fear. That when I have the Spirit, I'm confident in what I'm supposed to do because the Spirit shows me what's going to bring the most glory to God and I do that. And we ask all the time, I wish I I I knew how to hear from God, I wish I knew what to do. Here's the answer. What's going to bring more glory to God? Do that. Say, I don't know which college I'm supposed to go to. Which one's going to bring more glory to God? There's your answer. That's his job. And so what he's going to do is he's going to help you understand which one is going to do that. What job should I take? He's going to show you which one is going to bring more glory to God. That's the one you do. How should I spend my money? He's going to show you how, that, how to use your money to glorify God. That's what you do. How am I supposed to manage this in my relationship? He's going to show you what's going to bring more glory to Jesus. That's what you're supposed to do. We turn it into this big mystical thing where we're waiting for sky riding or for some sort of sign in the sand or some sort of. I was out this morning. It was beautiful. I was out at four thirty this morning, getting ready to come to church, and the stars were beautiful at 30 this morning. And I'm looking up, and there was a big shooting star right across the sky. I couldn't believe it. It was amazing. I was glad I just took a second to look. You know, I was like, "Why is that star there? Nothing. It's a shooting star. God has given me the spirit to guide me. Not shooting stars. Okay." We've got something better what will bring more glory to jesus christ that is the question that we really have to answer and if you want that if you want to be able to hear from the spirit to be filled with the spirit to be empowered by the spirit to bring glory to jesus in your life we got to do this we got to submit to authority we got to embrace His grace, and we to commit ourselves all so what i want to do is i want to say a prayer so that we can focus ourselves and um, and when I done with the prayer, the band's going to they be coming up on stage, and uh, we're gonna sing an old hymn we sang it last week. It was perfect this week. Come now, fountain of every blessing. So um, perfect what we're talking about. when you filled with the living water of God? All right, let's pray together. God, comes to you, and I just want you to know how much we love you, and how thankful we are for the gift that you've given to us of your son Jesus Christ. His death on the cross to pay for our sin. His resurrection. Conquering sin and death. And we know that when we put our faith in you, Jesus, you forgive us sins. That we don't deserve that, that we haven't done anything to earn it, but that you chase after us and you died for us before we ever turned back to you. But that you have forgiven us through your death on the cross. And we put our faith in that, we trust in it, we believe in it. And God, you have given us the Holy Spirit as a confirmation of that, To remind us that we don't need to wallow in our sin or regret that we are free and we are forgiven in front of you. But that even as we go through this, we know that we are in a constant battle for our faithfulness, for our life right here, even though you have won the battle for our soul. And so I ask God that, first of all, if there's anyone who's never accepted you as your savior, they do that now. They believe in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross and his resurrection, they put their faith in you, Jesus. And for everyone in the room, whether you made that decision right here in this moment today or whether you made it years ago, God, I pray that for all of us, that you would fill us with the Spirit, that you show us what we need to do in order to make room, what we need to clean out, what we need to clear out, what we need to change, what we need to refocus so that your Spirit can can take the place, because we know we're in a battle. We know we now struggle, every single one of us, every single day. And so I ask, God, that you would give us the focus and the presence of mind right now to be filled, to, to listen, to hear, to focus, to say that today, God, we believe that you are in control, that you are in all authority over heaven and earth. That we are subject to you. Pray, God, that you would remind us of our salvation in this moment. And give us confidence that we're forgiven. That your promises are true. That we will be with you for eternity. That you're going to make all things right. Pray that you would let that grace extend out to the people around us. There may be some in the room who are harboring grudges or unforgiveness against people in their life. In doing that, we're trying to take your place. I pray, God, that you would release us from that. Give us the ability to do what you have done for us, and that's to forgive even when it's not deserved. To release that right to get even, God, I pray that each of us, if we haven't made this commitment before, would make the commitment today or anew today. To say, I want to be whole. I want to be without spot. I want to be without blemish. I want to be as much like Jesus as I can possibly be. And so anywhere where I have turned a blind eye to sin, open my eyes. Anywhere where I have justified it, remove that justification. Anywhere where I have decided otherwise, I pray, God, that for me and for everyone here, you would lay it open, you would lay it bare, you would let us see it, and you would help us. We don't want to be filled with sin. We don't want to live by the flesh. We want to be filled with the Spirit, and we want to live by Him. And so I pray that as we, as we sing this song, as we come to you in worship, that you would allow this to be a moment of focus and attention drawing us back to you. In Jesus' name we pray.